Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. The believers in Damascus already know Saul's coming. If he finds you, he's going to lock you up and drag you down to Jerusalem. And Ananias is like, God, he's coming after me. God's like, no, 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 Ananias, we're going after him. We're going after him. This is a great setup. I got him where I needed him to be. I got him up here to Damascus so that you could lay hands on him and you can minister to him. Now, see, Ananias, we're on a mission. We're going after him. How often do you let fear drive your life? This whole last year has been really good for our perspectives. Does COVID rule your life or does God? We get it into our heads that the pandemic is the enemy or the government is, or even unbelievers. But that's just not true. Pastor James reminds us today that Satan is the one and only enemy. The panic that's in our heads is our own doing. Don't live your life in fear. Focus on Christ and all that he is and has done. Nothing and no one is more powerful or mighty than him. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Acts chapter 9 with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. These guys who saw something, heard something, but have no clue as to what's really going on, have to lead Saul into Damascus. So that his companions led him by the hand to Damascus, and he remained there blind for three days. That's pretty significant, in total darkness for three days. Hmm, interesting. Something significant happened not too you know, long ago, prior to this story, that involved three days, too, of darkness. Oh, yeah, that's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Here he is, blind for three days, and all that time he went without food and water. So he's fasting during this time frame, probably in complete shock as to what has just transpired within his life. Verse 10, thankful for the guys who led him into the city, even more grateful for the one who was already there, the believer who was already there to help take Paul the rest of the way. It says, there was a believer in Damascus named uh, Ananias. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias, right? Another calling. Isn't it beautiful? This maybe should trigger some things within our brains. My, my brain's functioning in John right now. I don't know why, but um, I'm just John chapter 10, Jesus, he's the good shepherd. He knows his sheep by name. Aren't you glad that Jesus knows your name? Isn't that an amazing thing? It's not just like, hey, you. Hey, 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 you, or uh, John, Jimmy, uh, wait, what's your name again? Like, he's not like us with our kids, right? Or like, go through the whole list, and you're like, I don't know, I even called him the dog's name. I don't know what's going on. Um, he's not like that. He knows you specifically, personally, intimately. And when it's time for him to use you to do something, he knows how to get your attention by calling your name. Ananias, I need you to do something pretty radical. Hey, buddy, are you sitting down? Because I got a job for you, okay? Ananias, yes, Lord, he replied. The key word there, Lord. Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That means you do what he says, no questions asked. And that's the word he's using, yes, Lord. 
the Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas, not the bad guy. Uh, when you arrive, ask for Saul of Tarsus. He is praying to me right now. Can you imagine? And I was like, okay, um, Straight Street. I, I know that street. I travel down that street all the time. I live here in Damascus or whatever. He's like, okay, I got that. Um, go find, wait, Saul of Tarsus. No, no, no. Hold on. Lord, I'm sorry. You're breaking up. Um, can you mean Peter, right? Peter, the great apostle, the leader of the church right now. Or maybe Philip. Like, there's some really cool things happening with Philip. He just transports everywhere. You mean like Philip, right? No, no, no. Saul of Tarsus, the bad guy in the story. Well, he's not a bad guy. He's not a bad guy. No, yeah, Saul, he's praying to me right now, actually. I'm talking to you, and he's praying to me right now. It's weird how this works, but this is how it works. So I'm talking to you. You go find him. I know exactly where he's at. I'm giving you a step-by-step -step direction of how to get there. I need you to go there. He says, verse 12, I have shown him a vision of a man named Ananias. You, I showed him you, because he's blind right now, coming in and laying his hands on him so that he can see again. Verse 13, but Lord, <laughs> I love that. Well, hold on. Well, Lord, um, I don't want to insult you, but are you up to date on how this guy functions? Do you know what this guy's about? There's no surprises for God. He knows what's going on, and he knows what he's doing. When he calls us to do something, he knows what he's doing. You can trust him. Even if it's terrifying, you can trust him. He's got your best intentions in mind. You can trust him with this. So here's poor Ananias. He's having his own kind of a conversation with God that I really appreciate. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard the, about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And we hear that he is authorized by the leading priest to arrest every believer in Damascus. Hello, he's coming after me. Word has already preceded Saul. The believers in Damascus already know Saul's coming. If he finds you, he's going to lock you up and drag you down to Jerusalem. And Ananias is like, God, he's coming after me. God's like, no, 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 Ananias, we're going after him. We're going after him. This is a great setup. I got him where I needed him to be. I got him up here to Damascus so that you could lay hands on him and you can minister to him. Now, see, Ananias, we're on a mission. We're going after him. He's not coming after you. He can't touch you. He can't touch you. That's got to be pretty encouraging from the Lord. That should be pretty encouraging for all of us. If you're following Christ, if he is Lord and Savior for you, you are on a mission. You're on a mission. I don't care what the news headlines may or may not say or what the temperature of the nation may or may not be towards the church. None of that really matters in the grand scheme of things because they're not coming after us we're coming after them. They're not coming after us. This is a beautiful setup by God. He's bringing whoever he wants to wherever he wants so that his children can go after them and minister to them. It's a beautiful plan. It's incredible. Now, should we be alert and aware? Absolutely. Don't be ignorant, OK? Don't be ignorant at all. But don't live in fear. Saul was the worst dude concerning the church ever. I mean, I know there's been a lot of bad guys. I know my history. I know there's been a lot of assaults against the church and, and Jews and all that stuff. But when it comes to like 
Saul was, his intent, if you understand the feeling behind the text, this guy was on a mission to absolutely destroy anybody and everybody, even if it meant putting them to death. Nothing was beyond him. Yeah, he wanted to go and arrest them, drag them to prison, but he probably would be okay with a few of them losing their lives. He already demonstrated that with Stephen. It wasn't just like, well, Saul, you're not old enough to throw rocks, so you get to hold our jackets. Saul was the guy saying, hey, listen, let me hold your coats so that you guys can put everything you have into killing this guy. That was his heart towards Christians. He celebrated their death, celebrated it. And here's Ananias with this encouraging word from the Lord. The Lord's like, listen, Ananias, I already got it all set up, man. I have all, it's all set up. All you got to do is just hear my voice and go. That's all you got to do. But Lord, don't you know? Yeah, I know, I know, I know. It's okay. Verse 15, but the Lord said, go and do what I say. There's, this, there's a nice sentence. Where is that like on the throw pillows of Christian homes, right? Like Acts chapter 9, verse 15, uh, go and do what I say. That's what, um, and then you can point at that for your kids. Like, hey, see the pillow? Go and do what I say. Um, not many of these, but that we need, I think as a church, we need more of verses like that. You know what? Just go and do what I said. Just go do what I said. That's it. But no, but, 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 nah. Go do what I said. For Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for me. Oh, that's fascinating. Is that karma? No, that's not karma. Not at all. This suffering technically is a blessing. It's a blessing. We look at it and we read it in a different world because we're Westerners. This is how we've been conditioned. We some, we've been conditioned to think that, well, we should only have good things happen to us. And especially if you're a Christian. I, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Uh, I read the Bible. I do all this good stuff. So good things, only good things should be happening to me. And that's a lie. I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but that's a lie. Following Christ means that suffering is a part of it. But you can consider yourself as, well, as James would say, that's kind of a privilege. It's a blessing to suffer for the Lord. That's a tremendous blessing. And from the very get-go, from the, from the very beginning in Saul's life, God's saying, listen, this guy is going to be the vessel that I have chosen to take this message, the gospel message, to the remotest parts of the world. We're going after the Gentiles. And I'm going to use this guy who would be, as far as the world is concerned, no, you send Saul, later on Paul, you send him to the Jews because he has all the, the best schooling in all the Jewish schools and all that stuff. From the world standpoint, we would say, if we looked at his resume, if Paul turned in a resume and Peter turned in a resume, we would say, OK, Clearly, this is a no-brainer. Paul, you go to the Jews. Peter, you go to the Gentiles. God's like, let me see those resumes. Okay, switch. Um, Paul, you go to the Gentiles. Peter, you go to the Jews. And the world's like, that doesn't make sense. God's like, yeah, welcome to my world. Welcome to how I like to do things. Who gets to take credit? No one. No one. So you can think about that for yourself, considering yourself. Like, Lord, what have you called me to do? 
What are you doing in and through me? What do you want me to do? Always a good idea to consult the Lord continually. Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to go to? How do I best serve these people? Always asking him, ask him, ask him. Before you ask anybody else, go to the Lord first. You can come to me and say like, hey, what do I need to do? And I can be like, well, I don't know. Um, and then you get frustrated. Uh, I'm like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, go to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? What have you designed me to do? He's got Paul, this chosen vessel, and he's like, I've structured this guy to go to the Gentiles. And he's going to write all these letters. And he does that because, well, God's made him that way. God knew what he was doing when he, when he selected Saul. So Saul's a chosen instrument. He will suffer. We know that. Paul's going to give an account of that a few chapters on. Verse 17, though, so Ananias went and found Saul. There it is. Doers of the word, not just hearers. For Saul, he saw Jesus, he heard Jesus, he obeyed Jesus. Ananias, he heard him, he heard the Lord, and he obeyed the Lord. He's not just a hearer, he's a doer. That's the distinction that has to be in our lives. That, that's the difference maker from being someone who just shows up to church to somebody who is, I mean, you're like Christ following. Not that you're not Christ follower, but the difference, guys, is in the hearing and in the doing. You're going to sell yourself short if you only ever just hear and never do. You're missing out, OK? May we never miss out. Like I said, I was just up in Amarillo. I could have said no to a funeral, absolutely. I had every right to say no. I'm like, I don't even know this guy. I don't have stories to share of this guy and an awesome childhood. I, hadn't, I didn't have an awesome childhood. I have no stories, no recollections. The things that I could have aired wouldn't have been nice, wouldn't have been honorable. I had a choice. I know what the Word says. And that's been one thing that I wanted. I wanted Lord, I got a mom. I got a dad. How do I honor them? How do I be obedient there? Because I know that that's what the word says, and I want to do that. And then you're presented with the opportunity to do that, and it's not easy. But I can speak from my own recent experience and just saying, OK, Lord, I'm going to do this to honor him, but here's what I have to have from you. You have to tell me what to say, because I have no words. And then you can show up to a funeral, and you can say, let me tell you what the Lord says. We got to be able to take those steps of action in our own lives. You may not have all the answers, but you don't need all the answers. You may not have all the steps. You don't need all the steps. You just need the one that's been illuminated in front of you and to actually take the step of faith to go for that. He'll show you what the next step is. He'll give you the words you may need to say in the moment when you need to say them. But we have to trust that he is actually good. We sing songs about it all the time. We have to trust that he is actually good and that he has a plan. And you have no idea. Ananias hiding out in Damascus from this guy who just walked into your town. And God says, hey, you know what? Go find him and lay hands on him and pray for him. No, 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 Lord, he's the, he's the enemy. He's the bad guy. And God's like, no, he's not. He's my son. He's my son. Go and lay hands on him. 
trust me. Ananias gets up, found Saul. He laid his hands on him, and he said, brother Saul, brother Saul. That's one of those things where you can underline that. You can circle that deal. You can put a star next to that guy. Because a few minutes ago in his life, Ananias wasn't looking at Saul as brother until God spoke to his heart. See, the amazing grace side of this story isn't just about Saul. It's about Ananias, too, an established believer. And now he's got to deal with this guy who's causing problems for the church. Ananias still needed grace within his life. Absolutely. You and I still need grace within our lives to be able to approach the Saul's of this world when the time is right and to lay your hands on them. And maybe you can address them, hopefully prayerfully, concerning people in your family who may fit this description. The goal would be to one day put a hand on them and say, brother or sister, I'm here to minister to you. We're on the same team. Grace was extended to Saul. Grace was extended to Ananias. It is the most amazing thing. It's transformative. It's empowering to understand that God is so willing to pour out all these amazing things within our lives, not because we deserve them, but really because we don't deserve them, but because he's good. And here's Ananias, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, has sent me that you may get your sight back and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he got up and was baptized. It's water baptism there, Okay, filled with the Holy Spirit. Scales come off. This is just a beautiful picture. Gets up, and what does he do? Baptize. He's been praying and fasting for three days. He's had a lot to consider, a lot to think about. He was schooled in the Old Testament. He's well aware of the scriptures. And for three days of total darkness, he got to chew on those scriptures for quite a while. And he was constantly in communication with Jesus, the guy who just met, he just met on the road to Damascus. And when Ananias, as God had told, instructed Ananias, but then also saw, what do you do the first moment you get up? I'm going to get baptized. Well, you understand what that means. Like, that's not a ritual. It's not just like some customary thing that, well, you're just supposed to. No, you understand. And so, Saul, you get it that you're making a public profession that you follow Jesus, the persecutor of the church, the hater of the church, the conspirator, one of the, one of the key guys within the death of Stephen. You understand that you may have a crowd of witnesses you understand you're putting the target on your back, right? I mean, just by being a believer, you've already done that, but you can kind of keep that secret. I mean, if we're honest about it, we can be Christians and live in a world and, not, and the world never even know that we exist as Christians. Unfortunately, we can do that. Baptism goes against that. Baptism is where you stand out in front of, usually that's how typically was done. It was done outdoors at a river where people commonly would gather. And you would stand before all that crowd and you say, you know what? I am following Jesus. And I don't care who sees. Saul, that's what you want to do. Yeah, 
absolutely. That's what I'm going to do. I will follow him. Even if it costs me my own life, I will follow him. And it did. It did cost him his life. But he wanted to get baptized immediately. It says afterwards, here's what's kind of encouraging. Afterwards, he ate some food and was strengthened. What an ordeal. What a, man, what a week. What a week, right? In the life of Saul, what a week. You go from one moment, you're nearing Damascus to go and arrest everyone, and then Jesus shows up in your life, not conveniently, and he didn't let you know. He didn't give you a heads up. He just showed up, right? That's kind of what he does. And he messed up his plans in the best possible way, and he spent three days in total darkness, fasting, praying, rethinking everything that he's ever known. The timeline for this chapter, I mean, it goes really fast. But just so you know, we are going to stop there. We'll pick up later. Because there is kind of a, there's a gap that takes place within the next few verses. There's actually a three-year time period. Because when we read this, we think like, OK, he got saved in, in Damascus. He started preaching immediately. He may or may not have done that. But then he, you know, he works his way back down to Jerusalem and all this stuff. No, no, he had three years of Bible college. Three years of Bible college, because he needed it. Well, no, he, knows, he knew the Bible better than any of us when he got saved. No, but he didn't really understand it. He needed to read it with a new set of glasses on called the gospel. That was my Bible college experience, two years. I didn't get three years. I probably could have used three years, if I'm honest with you. Um, two years, I had literally gotten saved right before I went to Bible college, literally. And if I look back at the story, I am no way even near a Saul or a Paul at all. But the summer leading up to Bible college is when I got saved in the mountains of Colorado, all on my own. You know that story. I'll probably repeat that 100 times. And it'll be one of those stories you laugh at me about because you're like, oh, here he goes again. Anyways, I'm already applied and accepted to go to Bible college. They've already accepted me in. Why? I don't even know. Because the grace of God, that's the only reason. And then immediately when I got saved, my first thought was, I have to get baptized. Where did that come from? I don't know. I don't know. But I knew, like, I'm, I'm going to let everybody know. I'm following Jesus. So I got back to Amarillo. I did that. And within a few weeks, I'm at Bible college for two years. And I know absolutely nothing about this book. Aside from there's a story about Noah, and he's got a boat with a bunch of animals on it. And every depiction of it, it seems like that boat's a little shaky, OK? Because it's shaped like a crescent. And I'm like, how does that even float uh, with all those animals in there? And giraffes sticking their heads out the top and stuff. I'm like, what is this? Um, I knew that. I knew there was a guy named Jonah who got swallowed by a fish or something like that. And then there's this dude named Jesus. That's all I knew. That's all I needed to know. Actually, I needed to know probably less than that, because I needed to go into Bible college for two years of my life for God to completely strip away every preconceived notion that I had had concerning him. I needed all that stripped away so that he could build truth into my life. For Saul, he's going to get that Bible college experience where God gets to deal with him directly and say, OK, everything that you've learned up to this point in your life, it's good. But let me show you the reality behind it. Let me show you the truth behind it. Let me show you why this really matters. Hopeless, hopeless, red for the broken.
That's all we have time for today at Bread for the Broken, but we're so glad that you joined us as Pastor James continues through the book of Acts. This book is a powerful representation of how the church first began. It contains a variety of snapshots into effective ways of sharing the gospel. Some apostles shared in large groups, while others taught in more intimate settings. Some taught the gospel through words, and others shared through signs and wonders. Do you wrestle with sharing who Jesus is? Be encouraged. As long as you're teaching the hope and truth of Jesus, there is no wrong way. If you'd like prayer in this area, we would love to pray for you. Visit breadforthebroken.com, click on the contact tab, and let us know how we can be praying. If you'd like to listen to more teachings like this, you can find them too when you visit breadforthebroken.com. Just click on the teachings tab. You'll also be able to learn more about Calvary Galveston at our website, as well as find directions to our location. Calvary Galveston is a church of ordinary people seeking to live as Jesus did. We meet every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. So if you're ever in the Galveston area, we would love to meet you. Our atmosphere is relaxed, so just come as you are. You can find out more and get directions on our website. Again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Thanks for listening to Pastor James's teaching today. Know that we're praying for you, and we hope you'll join us to continue digging into the book of Acts next time on Bread for the Broken.